Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. All right, well, today's gospel reading is the Beatitudes found in Matthew chapter 5. And instead of just reading it, as we typically do, uh, I would like for you to participate in today's gospel reading. So if you would, stand with me. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the introduction to the Beatitudes, and then I will read the blessing, and you will respond with, you know, the response. You'll respond with the response. There you go. And uh, your part will be in bold and underlined. You'll see how this works. All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of justice. Amen. You may be seated. And yes, today I'm preaching on the Beatitudes, which means the blessings. That's what Beatitudes means. I'm, I'm preaching on these blessings that Jesus gives as a prelude to the Sermon on the Mount, the most substantive of all of Jesus' teachings is this three chapters in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus... Um, has arrived proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He says it's within reach, it's near, it's coming. Rethink everything, prepare. And as we have stressed, everything Jesus said or did in the course of his ministry was an announcement or an enactment of the kingdom of God. It's all about that. And now we might think of the Sermon on the Mount as the constitution of the kingdom of God. What Jesus teaches in this sermon is what characterizes the government of God that comes from heaven, the reign and rule of God that Jesus Christ is inaugurating in his own life. This is the things that are to be valued. These are the things that we are to lean into, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is preceded by this eightfold announcement, this octagonal announcement of those who are best situated to hear the arrival of the kingdom of God as good news. You know, we shouldn't just assume that everybody is going to hear the coming of the kingdom of God initially as good news. It is good news, but some don't hear it as such. I mean, clearly, 
as Jesus is announcing and enacting the kingdom of God, he faced tremendous opposition. Yes, many heard it as good news and said, I want in on this. And they're being baptized and they're beginning to follow Jesus, but others resisted. And so the Beatitudes are not so much commands or imperatives to be a certain way. We, some of them might feel like that. But really they are more simply an announcement of those who are best suited and situated to hear the kingdom of God as good news. Now, who, who wouldn't hear it as good news? Well, um, those who are pretty satisfied with the status quo. Those for whom the present arrangement of things is advantageous, at least in their estimation, they may say, I don't want a big change. Because indeed, remember Jesus said, many who are first will be last, many who are last will be first. Well, if you're number one, if you're at the top of the heap, you might want to say, can I see the fine print on this? Because I like being on top. And so Jesus is giving this announcement, just simply saying, these are the people that are going to be most ready to hear what I'm saying as good news. Now, if you can rejoice eight times in Jesus' eightfold announcement of blessedness, then good. You are well situated to receive the good news of the kingdom of God. If not, if there's some of these things you go, ah, I don't know about that. Well, guess what? That's where you need to repent. Huh. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Don't, don't let that word repent be something that you react instinctively with negativity. It simply means change your mind. It just simply means rethink. So if Jesus is calling something blessed and you're going, I don't know if I like that. Well, right there, you need to change your mind. You need to rethink some things in the light of Jesus Christ and the good news that he's bringing to us. And as I preach on the Beatitudes today, I am cognizant that I am not preaching outside of a cultural context. I am not preaching in a vacuum. I am preaching the Beatitudes in a particular place, in a particular moment. It happens to be the US of A in 2023. And I mention that because, I wanna say this in a pastoral way, I see a false Christianity in America that is quite nearly the very opposite of the Beatitudes. I see a prevalent expression of Christianity in America in this present moment that is quite nearly the opposite. You could almost go through the Beatitudes, reverse them, and have a fair description of where this Christianity is coming from. It's highly visible, it's highly vocal, it's completely enthralled with political power, and it's also false. So if your Christianity is not reflected in the Beatitudes, guess what, it's time to rethink everything. All right, let's get started. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the first blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now with each one of these, I'm going to give you as it, as it reads, and I'm not sure what translation that is, probably a composite of several translations, but the, but the best that I can ascertain is to communicate what the text says in English. But then I'm gonna follow it up with a reading from the BZV, 
<laughs> this, is, this is my paraphrase of that beatitude because we've heard the beatitudes so much that they can become a cliche to us. And that would be a great tragedy. This should not be a cliche. I want this to pop. I, I want you to hear this possibly like those that first heard it would encounter these Beatitudes as something radical, something that was noteworthy, something that was going to challenge you to think one way or another. So we could say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Or blessed are those who are poor at being spiritual, for the kingdom of heaven is well suited for ordinary people. All right. Now, poor in spirit. I'm not saying that poor in spirit has a one-to-one ratio with being poor, being spiritual. I mean, it may be a reference to some kind of humility or even more so maybe someone that's just dispirited, you know, Uh, but it's related to this. And I want to play with it a little bit. Blessed are those who are poor at being spiritual for the kingdom of heaven is well suited for ordinary people. The kingdom of God That is the kingdom that Jesus is bringing, the alternative society from heaven that Jesus is bringing is not the domain of the spiritually elite. Have you ever, have you ever, at some point in your Christian journey, have you ever, and I actually want to see hands there, I'm curious about this. Have you ever found yourself a part of a church or a movement, a parachurch organization, some Christian movement that really catered to the spiritual elite, the green berets, the spiritual Olympians? Mm-hmm, I have to. And you know what? It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And it's not healthy. It tends towards the fostering of pride. You know, there's all those other Christians out there, but we are the elite. We are the special ops of Jesus. <laughs> you know, when Jesus selected his disciples who would become apostles that would really provide the foundation for the church, and it's interesting, he does not select them from among the spiritually elite. I mean, they exist, they're out there. You know, the priests, the Levites, the scribes, clerics, people whose life is dedicated to the study of Scripture. He doesn't select them. He selects fishermen for crying out loud. Anybody ever watch that? It's been going forever, that reality TV show, Deadliest Catch? Those guys, those foul-mouthed fishermen? That's who Jesus selects. That's who Jesus calls. And throw in the odd tax collector, which is even worse. (laughs) And so Jesus does not present this kingdom as that which is going to belong to the professional clergy, the spiritually elite, the priestly caste. In other words, the good news is this kingdom is for you. It's for you. You don't have to, you don't have to be the spiritual giant, the spiritual Olympian, the spiritual Navy SEAL. You can be you. And it's for you. You say, I'm not very good at being spiritual. Blessed are you. Because this kingdom is for people just like you. Second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Or, blessed are the depressed who mourn and grieve, for they create space to encounter comfort from another. 
Walter Brueggemann has pointed out that we are schooled in denial. This is part of growing up in a economic, military, cultural superpower. And our, our mantra is we're number one. We're number, and it puts pressure on you. you know, we're number one. I mean, if you're from Portugal, you're like, oh, we're number, what are we? We're number 27? I don't know what we are. And it's, you can just be more relaxed about it. But when you're number one, you know, there's only one place you can go, and that's down. And so you're, you always want to stay at the top. And so that creates kind of a unwritten code of never leaning too much into grief or sorrow. You have to put a brave face on everything. You have to kind of carry on like you're always on top. That, that gets manifest in people, you know, that just in an annoying sort of way, no matter what's happening in their life. How are you doing? Blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Okay, okay, I know you are. I know you are. But, you know, I know you also just got a divorce and you had a car wreck and, you know, I'm just trying, trying to hear how you are. You see, when we encounter loss of some kind, Grief is a work to be attended to. You, you just have to do it. It's, it's carving out space or depth within your soul. You, I mean, you can try to treat it by just staying flat, prosaic, sedated. Nothing moves me very much. Blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Thank you. <laughs> or you can do what needs to be done. You can attend to the work of grief and dig down, carve out some space. Because listen, the capacity to sorrow deeply is also the capacity to rejoice greatly. You, you, you don't want prosaic, sedated flatness. You want to have some depth of soul to you. So the, yes, you really feel the pain, but when joy comes in the morning, you can really be filled up with that too. So blessed are those who are mourning. The blessed are those who, how do I say it in my paraphrase? I don't have my paraphrase memorized. I've got the real one memorized. Blessed are the depressed who mourn and grieve for they create space to encounter comfort from another. Well, that's the point. When we experience loss, there is a certain amount of grieving that's required to get to the place of healing, but we don't have to do it alone. We can do it together. I can do some of your grieving for you. I can help carry the sorrow with you. That's why the Bible says, mourn with those who mourn. Don't try to cheer up those who mourn. Come on, come on, cheer up, cheer up. That's so annoying. So I just want to say, you can come here with your sorrow, with your grief, with your pain, with your loss, and you don't have to pretend. You don't have to put brave face on when, when we ask you, you know, out of kindness and genuine concern, how are you doing? You say, man, it's, it's hard right now. It's hard. All right, well, let, let me carry some of that for you. Let me grieve with you. Let me sorrow with you. Because I don't know how it works exactly, the mechanics of it, but a certain amount of sorrowing has to be done, but you don't have to do it alone. And when we do it together, it makes it much more bearable. Because we can, we can bear almost anything if we can do it in the company of our friends. And this kingdom's like that. So you don't have to pretend, just show up and be honest. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Whew. Or blessed are the gentle and trusting, who are not grasping and clutching, for God will personally guarantee their share as heaven comes to earth. 
Well, this is the beatitude that citizens of a superpower believe the least. Uh, because we are, again, we're schooled in the virtue of might, of being number one economically and militarily in every other way. And that's, that's not the path of meekness, that's the path of might. And so it's hard for us to not think in terms of we've got to win. I mentioned this two weeks ago. I've mentioned it many times, but it's worth hearing again. Life is not a game. Life is a gift. The purpose in life is not to win. The purpose in life is to learn to love well. And I, maybe I could add, and to trust God. To learn how to simply trust God. The tendency to divide people into the categories of winners and losers is almost antithetical to the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount does not care about those kind of categories. If anything, those that would be put into the category of winner in any kind of Babylon are under more pressure to begin to change the way they think about things and become concerned. So if, if, there are, if there are categories in the Sermon on the Mount, what might be more dominant is proud and humble. Proud and humble. Not winners and losers. Jesus doesn't think like that and he's trying to, he's inviting us not to think that way. Now the problem is, is we too often hear meekness as weakness. And it's not. It's not. Meekness is not weakness. Uh, the meek are not the weak. The meek are those brave enough to trust God. Come on now. The meek are not weak. They are the ones brave enough to trust God. Say, so I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to see life as a constant competition to best my brother. I'm going to see life as a gift and I'm going to trust God. Amen. Fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice for they shall be satisfied or blessed are those who ache for the world to be made right. For them, the government of God is a dream come true. Now, even the way I quoted the standard translation, the kind of more literal translation, you'll notice that I didn't say, as you've probably accustomed to hearing it, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Instead of righteousness, I say justice. And why do I do that? Because I can. I don't want to get, I don't want to get all technical with you. I'll just say this. Diakosune also means justice as much as it means righteousness. English is an outlier among most languages where we have two words, righteousness and justice. Almost all other languages, that, that concept is one word. And in dividing them up, it's created some problems because righteousness becomes one of two things too often. Either it becomes a technical theological term in certain reformed theologies that I think is problematic, or it just has a whiff of self-righteousness to it. Um, so that if we just, if we say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied, I'm afraid we hear it too often as Blessed are those who really, really want to be spiritual because they will really, really be spiritual. That's not at all what it's saying. It's saying blessed are those, well, my paraphrase, who ache for the world to be made right. For them, the government of God is a dream come true. 
I mean, don't you know there's something wrong with the world? And if, if there's something, I mean, there's something wrong in Memphis and there's something wrong in Moscow. I could go on. There's something wrong. And if we are aching over the wrongness of the world that we see around us, then we will begin to find a deep satisfaction in what Jesus is bringing because Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. So there, there's a, a depth of satisfaction with what Jesus is bringing into the world. Justice, it's a good word. You know, for example, for example, for example, children in St. Joseph, Missouri should not go hungry. And if we intervene so as to make sure that children in our city don't go hungry, that's not charity. I mean, you can use that word, I get it, but I, would, I don't, don't think it is charity, think of it as justice. This is not right, we're gonna set it right. It's not like these children are necessarily dependent upon our benevolence. They simply, as human beings, have a right for things to be right. And that's wrong. And so we're gonna do justice and help set that right. That's what this Beatitudes are. I'm setting it. Perry's going to give you a nice little wonderful announcement here at the end of the service. You know, we call it Perry time. You know, we always end the service with Perry time. It's the second best right after communion. And uh, you just, you know, endure the sermon to get to Perry time. I know. Uh, Blessed are those who ache deep within for the world to be set right. For them, the government of God is a dream come true. Perry. Uh, Beatitude 5, got to pick up my pace a little bit here. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Or, blessed are those who give mercy, for they will get it back when they need it most. Mercy triumphs over judgment, James says. That's one of my favorite verses. Is it like James 2, I think it's like 15 or 13? I can't remember, it's one of those. <clears throat> it's an odd number, it's not an even. <laughs> I can't remember. Mercy triumphs over judgment. America is a great nation with a great capacity for generosity. I mean, I'm aware of this and I see it. It is true. America is a great nation with a great capacity for generosity. But it also has a certain mean streak. I'm just being honest. There is, there is a mean streak in America that I admonish you to avoid and not emulate and say, no, that, that doesn't correspond with the kingdom of Christ. Um, th there is a streak in the American psyche that, you know, what matters most is that people get theirs. You know, you did the crime, you're gonna do the time. Don't talk to me about, you know, early release. Don't talk to me, I'm not interested in mercy. Well, okay, you can go down that road, but you, you better, you better not sin. I mean, if you're going to be a sinner, and you are, I know, I know you, you're going to be a sinner. If you're going to be a sinner, you, might, you, you just got to be merciful to others. Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But the thing is, we get to determine how we'll be judged. It's in our hands. The degree to which you are merciful to others Christ says, I will be merciful to you. 
The degree to which you are unmerciful to others and say, no, I want everybody to get their just desserts. I'll be that way with you. Well, I'm a sinner. And I'm going to go to the judgment seat. And I want it to go as well as possible. So I really lean into mercy. I am a merciful person. I can say that honestly. I lean into mercy. I want to give people, I just want to be merciful. I really do. And I, and I preach mercy and I emphasize mercy and I stress mercy. And some have said, I do it too much. Too much mercy. And so, well, you know, we'll find out because I'll go to the judgment seat of Christ. And, and it opens up. Okay, we're going to the Z's here. All right, let's see, BZ. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Too much mercy. And then I'm going to go. Okay, then. So, I'm going to be merciful. <laughs> it's about that simple for me. It really is. Uh, one of the things I love about this church is that we have cultivated kindness among us. The word of life is characterized by a culture of kindness. We, we, don't, we didn't have a program for this. We didn't do a sermon series on it. It's just, I, I mean, we're not perfect, but there is a general ethos of kindness in this congregation. And that's why people... Find life here is one of the reasons, that's for sure. Beatitude number six, we're, we're pressing on here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Or, blessed are those who have a clean window in their soul, for they will perceive God when and where others don't. You know, the failure of the Pharisees to embrace, in general, some did, but most didn't, Jesus as the Messiah it's just such a sad story. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to present the, the Pharisees as stock villains, as two-dimensional, two-dimensional, cut-out, cardboard, mustache-twisting villains. They're a, they're a sad story. These are people that were very serious about their faith. They wanted to live their faith. But over the period of time, their movement became self-righteous self-referential, self-reverencing, and they became very judgmental of everybody else. And so they, they yearned for God to move, and they believed that God was going to move, and they believed that God was soon sending the Messiah, all of which is true. But they were convinced that Messiah would look like them, would be one of them, that Messiah would be a Pharisee deluxe, and so when Jesus isn't that, they miss it. It's not because it's not they're not smart. It's because their heart had become so clouded over with the grime of self-righteousness and pride and judgmentalism that they could not perceive what was really obvious to most people, that God was with Jesus. Sinners got it. Tax collectors got it. Prostitutes got it. But those that should have got it didn't. That, it wasn't an intellect problem. It was a heart problem. And it's really a sad story. I'll say this much. Cynicism will make it hard for you to perceive God at work in the world. Because the cynic wants to say that everything's done from some sort of ulterior motive. I want to know what's really going on. What are you really after? And, you know, if you want to find false motives or mixed motives. If you want to find something that's wrong, well, seek and you shall find. 
But what do you get once you've found it? God is not quite as scandalized by sin as a lot of people. And God says, well, yeah, yeah, motives are mixed and they're sinners, but it's, it's what I got to work with here, folks. If I don't work with that, then I can't work with anything. And so if it has to be perfectly pure before God can be seen, well, you'll never see God. It isn't that they are, it's that your heart has become too cynical. And so with a pure heart, you can recognize God at work in impure people and movements and churches, churches. You know, if, if you assume God can't use the church, well, then you will not perceive God at work in the church, even though it happens all the time. Seventh beatitude, blessed are the peace. I got to hurry up here. Blessed, there's eight of them. Should have been two sermons. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Or blessed are the bridge builders in a war-torn world, for they are God's children working in the family business. Look, we're peacemakers simply because we confess that Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace, and in his death and resurrection, he has inaugurated the age of peace. If the rest of the folks out there aren't working for peace, that's their problem. We already, we're, through baptism, we belong to the future. We belong to the age to come. We belong to the age of peace in Christ, and we want to live that way right now. Remember, there is, there is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Amen. Amen. Christians who make the case for war, especially wars of aggression, are such a sad, terrible witness to the church. I mean, I'm looking at you. I'm, I'm sure you're watching Patriarch Kirill. The uh, Orthodox Patriarch of Moscow, who has turned into a false prophet and just wants to bless everything that war can do to satisfy the ego of a dictator. That's, that's, it's nothing new, but it's always tragic when it happens. We must, not, we must not be those kind of people, as Pope Francis told him. He says, we, we must not talk like that. We must not use the language of the world, the language of politics. We must use the language of Christ. He told him that. He needs to repent. Number eight. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of justice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or blessed are those who are maligned and mistreated for the right reasons, for the kingdom of heaven comes to earth amidst much persecution. A willingness to suffer for Christ is what it means to take up the cross. That's what it means. I mean, taking up the cross is not really a mystery. What it means is, I am willing to suffer in order to follow Jesus. And if we're unwilling to suffer for the sake of the cross, then we find ourselves reaching for the sword of political power and that always, always, always corrupts us. So a church willing to suffer with Christ is a church that is faithful to Christ. And may we be found faithful. Amen. Stand with me. Let's go through the Beatitudes one more time before we confess our faith and then confess our sins and receive forgiveness all in preparation for coming to the table of the Lord. So join with me in one more time. 
Confessing the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of justice. Amen. Now join with me in confessing our Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now join me in confessing our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.